Welcome to Season 2 of the Pogel Podcast. I'm Matt Tarka, producer of the Pogel Podcast for the Pogel Project. Pogel stands for Process-Oriented Guided Inquiry Learning, a student-centered approach that guides students in constructing their own understanding of content and helps them develop important skills such as teamwork, communication, critical thinking, and problem-solving. The Pogel Podcast is an ongoing conversation from the Pogel Project that celebrates innovative educators both in and out of the classroom. This podcast is a special episode we'd like to share with you as part of our outreach to other like-minded organizations and educators. Today, co-host Alex Gruschow, who is a professor of chemistry at Ryder University and chair of the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, interviews Dr. Brad Moser, a lab technician and instructor of physics at Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. He is also the host of a podcast called Physics Alive, where he sparks new life into the physics classroom. Dr. Moser speaks with researchers and textbook authors on the frontiers of physics education, life science and health professionals who use physics on an everyday basis, designers and engineers who learn from the natural world, teachers who employ innovative and active learning styles, and students who want the most out of their education. More details about the podcast can be found at www.physicsalive.com. Brad and Alex, Thank you for being here today to discuss the work of Physics Alive. And Alex, I will now pass the baton over to you. Hello, and welcome to the Pogel Podcast. Today, I am talking with Dr. Bradley Moser, who is a professor at Hamilton College in physics. And we're interviewing Brad today because uh, he runs a podcast of his own. And so, you know, we podcast people all like to sort of connect with one another. Uh, His podcast is called Physics Alive. uh, And we're going to get to that in a little bit and have him describe a little bit about the podcast. Um, Hello, Brad, how are you doing? Hello, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this conversation and sharing some interdisciplinary type of ideas. Okay, great. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in teaching physics? Yeah, it was it was kind of a, a mild-mannered uh, approach. I um, went to graduate school thinking I was going to go a kind of a traditional research direction. And uh, the story I often tell is that the days when I had to get up and do research in the lab uh, with, with my graduate advisor uh, were the days I had a hard time getting out of bed. I would maybe drag myself to campus by 10 o'clock in the morning and begrudgingly stay late. But then when I had a chance to teach uh, a lecture course, I found myself staying up till midnight planning for it and excitedly waking up in the morning to go off to the class. And I found, wow, there's, there's something that's really pulling me into this. And I, honestly, I, I can't tell you why that is. I mean, if any of us can really find the true meaning of why we're interested in what we're interested in, that would be an interesting study that we figured out. So I don't know why I'm called to it so much, but I'm just really fascinated by education, by, by the ideas that I found. And, and as I was getting into uh, teaching in the classroom, I think my experience at sort of the, the bigger research-based institutions uh, and as a teaching assistant, I would um, you know, sit in on the big lecture courses and, and see the, the slides whizzing by and the students' blank stares and, yeah. and then helping them in, in office hours and helping them prepare for exams. And they're so confused. They haven't gotten anything. They're just trying to memorize what they can. And I, I'm thinking, this can't be the best way. 
this, this doesn't make sense. And even I thought back on my own education and said, I, I had a lot of great teachers, but it was all lecture based. And I really don't remember a thing of what I learned from any of those classes. It's like, is the way we're doing things really working? And and that's when I started digging into the literature and I discovered physics education research. And uh, I think the first book that I, one of the first books I stumbled upon was Peer Instruction by Eric Mazur and, and about how to use clickers in the classroom and uh, about a whole different type of, of pedagogy centered on asking questions. And I think that's just led me further and further down the rabbit hole and being really interested in that. Uh, and, and then that was in 2008 that I discovered that. Uh, and then in 2010, when I got my first a job outside of after graduate school, I had an opportunity to do a modeling instruction workshop. And I, I know we'll talk about that a little bit more later and some of the connections that might or com comparisons with Pogel. And that really cinched it for me that it's like, wow, there really is a different, better, uh, a different way, a better way that has structure, that has, that has meaning that helps students construct what they're learning. And it's just been, I'm kind of all in since that point. Right. And, and your your description of the rabbit hole is not an, an uncommon thing among those of us who are, who are seriously uh, interested in teaching within our disciplines, uh, particularly within the STEM disciplines, as separate from you know what we do when we're working in our in our research laboratories. Um, so I mean, not only you were you somehow called to teaching, uh, but you seem to be interested on in how students are learning. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of what you've been thinking about in, in that realm? Like not just that they're learning because, you know, I, I also re recall those uh, slides whizzing by, although it was, it, we didn't have the PowerPoint technology when I was in graduate mm. school, but it, it was a similar experience. Um, but I, you know, I still managed to learn stuff, but I look at students today and I sort of wonder how are they learning and how is that different from what I was doing? Well, and I think that we learned stuff in the discipline that we were interested in. Uh, and maybe outside of that, we didn't learn as much. Or we, we, we got by, maybe we got A's in the class, but in, in hindsight, maybe we didn't feel like we learned quite as much. I, I know I have that feeling. And you know, one piece, and I'll have to say, it's like a lot of my work that I do is, is thinking about uh, curriculum design, and yeah, I guess about, about what's in the classroom and, and how I'm doing it. So I think about a lot about what, what will motivate students. And I, I had a very particular audience when I got to the University of New England. I'm currently at Hamilton College, but when I got to the University of New England, I, uh, when I started teaching, I've, I discovered over, over the first couple of years that the audience I really had was a lot of the, the, the pre-health professions types of students. We didn't have a physics major, so I wasn't thinking about how to how to teach the majors. I was thinking about all these people who are in my class that don't want to be there. And what could I do to help them feel like they wanted to be there more? And it was that motivation piece. I, I couldn't, I found that modeling instruction, instruction as an approach helped. It, it definitely, it, it kept the students being active and engaged in the classroom. Uh, there was a, a lot of active learning pieces to it. But it still didn't have the motivation piece. They were still just taking physics because they had to take physics. So it was when I began to look into, well, what's the physics that they could connect with? And looking at the physics of the human body, uh, looking at uh, the, the physics of, of, uh, of medicine, of the equipment that's out there, 
uh, that was where that connection could begin to be made. And, and students were beginning to then see that, that this can be relevant to them. And that really drew some more of them in. And then to have on top of that uh, a, a structure, a constructivist type of approach to learning, I felt like I was beginning to tap into kind of the best of two worlds. Yeah. So can you describe a little bit about um, this? You know, what does it look like in your in your physics uh, physics lab or your classroom where, where you're doing this, what you call modeling uh, instruction? Yeah, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell two stories about that, because uh, what I'm doing now looks different than what I was able to do before. Uh, so when I was at the University of New England, I, I came in and they were just all beginning, like all the there were four faculty members in physics and we had just they had just transitioned over to completely modeling. So that's uh, lab and lecture are combined into one. So instead of three hours of lecture, one hour a week, um, three one-hour sessions of lecture, uh, and and then a three-hour lab, instead it was uh, two three-hour lab blocks or possibly three two-hour lab blocks. So the students were always meeting in the same space with the same instructor. Uh, there were there were no, no thinking about. It's like, well, do, do I get the lab? done before I teach in a lecture or they, will they see the material after? So as I was with them all the time and the labs were an integral part of the modeling curriculum. So in modeling instruction, we have these, uh, what are called paradigm labs. So it's, we, we come in and we, we look at, you know, the, the classic one where we start is the tumble buggy. So we have this little electronic cart that goes across the floor at a constant velocity. And, but we have no vocabulary. We don't know the word velocity. We don't know acceleration. We know nothing. So from the lab, we begin to build that vocabulary. The, the students sort of with the guidance of the instructor design an experiment that will eventually lead them to that. They'll, they, there's always a problem statement for each lab. How does blank depend on blank? How does position depend on time? Is how we start in that tumble buggy lab. And then they um, sort of partially design the experiment themselves and, and they, they learn how to make multiple representations from the experiment. So they make a, a, a graph from that. So this is a graphical representation. They, they do a line of best fit and they create a mathematical model. So it's our mathematical representation. Uh, there's a diagrammatic representation. So there's always some type of picture that we try to put to it. Uh, in, in the case of motion, we have these pictures called motion maps that allow us to sort of, instead of just drawing a car that has little lines behind it to show it going fast, uh, that we have a you know, sort of, how any of us would try to draw something moving. Uh, instead, we have a very specific mapping out of point after point after point on, on a, a line graph uh, that shows a particular type of motion. And then finally, a verbal representation. We, we try to get the students to a point where they are talking in a, a common vocabulary so that everybody can understand what we're all saying. So this sounds, I mean, it sounds very much like a, a po you know, for our Pogo listeners, it sounds very much like a, Pogel activity, but you're really, instead of having model data in front of you, like we do usually in, in a lot of our activities, it starts with model data. You're actually just mm -hmm. starting in the laboratory saying, okay, I want to try something out, gathering some data, and then trying to build a concept or an idea on, the, on top of that. Exactly. Yeah. So then after, so we build all these representations for that particular experiment, and so we've built, we've built our model. And then we, the, the last kind of stage is the deployment of the model. And this is what looks like, could look like more what you know, traditional problem solving would be. And it's a, lot of, it's a lot of group work. So there's always whiteboards in the lab. Groups are working together to solve problems based on these models. 
Uh, and then eventually, once we get through a particular unit, we move on and say, well, now let's look at something rolling down a ramp. And what we see is that the constant velocity model no longer works. And we need to develop a new model. We need to develop a model of constant acceleration. And then the modeling cycle can continues again with, with a new topic. Okay. And so then this also, overlying all this, is, you know, it, there's sort of a line of questioning that's already been constructed for the students to sort of follow along, or is this more open-ended? It's open-ended in the sense that, you know, they, they get a little bit of ownership over what the experiment design looks like a, a little bit, because we're, we're sort of working together to determine what are the best problem statements. It's, it's still a little prescribed in a way, right. um, but the, the sense-making, they're, they're kind of given a framework for how to go about that. But, but we really put the onus on them to make sense of what it is that we're looking at. And we can kind of guide them with, with, the, with the questions, with unit analysis, with, you know, what do we think of the physics here? So we're kind of pushing them in that direction, but we really make them construct the models themselves. Okay. And, and so then, you know, the idea is once, they, once they've sort of developed the models, then in principle, then they can go off and do other problem solving. Like, I mean, you have like traditional homework and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So at that point, the, the modeling community has a, a workbook that it, it hands to everybody who does the, the modeling workshops. So there's, there is a, a standard modeling problem base um, okay. workbook that we work through. And, and of course you can, you know, I, we I pull materials from other resources, but I really love that, that framework because a lot of it's really about, it's not just problems where you would be able to plug in numbers and solve for things, but there's a lot of graphing. It's like you have, there's right. a lot of drawing graphs, making sense of that, doing graphical analysis. There's lots of showing pictures and showing that you're making sense across all of these four different representations, right? Not just the mathematical, right? And that that usually helps a different style of student because you know some students you can show them an equation and they get it, although mm -hmm. usually those are the physicists, exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> And then, then the, the, the student who just like, until you show them a picture of a graph, they just, they, they don't see that representation. So that's interesting. All right. So I want to, I want to turn now to uh, this podcasting. So you started doing this physics alive podcast in the middle of a pandemic. And I was sort of wondering, uh, is this something that you just sort of woke up today? It's like, I'm in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I'm not doing anything that I you know, would normally be doing, so I'm going to start a <laughs> podcast. Or was it like, this is something that's been brewing in the back of your mind for a while, and this seemed like the right time to launch? It, it's a complicated answer, and uh, I can't give you all the details because I haven't even sorted them all out myself. But there were, there were a couple of setbacks <laughs> in, in my life, and it just it got me to thinking about what, what are some other things that I could be doing? If... Yeah, I, I think the pandemic brought up a lot of questions about, you know, what, what are the jobs we move forward with? You know, how secure is my position? You know, what's going to happen moving forward? And, and there, was, there, was, there was kind of a piece that went through me of, it's like, what if I would need to support myself along the way? What, what, if, what if my teaching position doesn't necessarily last being a, a non-tenure track position at Hamilton College right now? Uh, you know, which is something I'm not actually afraid of, but, you know, all, all these questions kind of come up. And I think, what are some other things I could be doing? Yeah, we, and, we all had those questions. When yeah. Hit. I mean, even those of us who were tenured faculty, we just had no idea what was really going to happen. So 
This is not an uncommon feeling. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I dug into um, some, you know, because I love podcasts, uh, I, I started listening to a couple, it was like kind of some more entrepreneurial podcasts. And I heard some really interesting ones with folks who were kind of talking about, it's like, start a podcast. It's like, here's how easy it is and what you can do with that. And you know, how down the road, down the road, if it does well, it's like, you know, that could be your living. And you know, that kind of, you know, piqued my interest. And, uh, and I thought, well, what would I, what would I make a podcast about? And like, that was where the, it was apparently already brewing in the back of my mind right. to do something like this. Uh, I, I think when I, when I first started getting into the physics education research literature and, and got my first position out of graduate school that I was already thinking, I'm going to write a book someday. I'm not quite sure what the topic is yet, so I'm not ready to write it, but I, I feel like it's going to be on education research somehow. So there was, there was always this part of me that I didn't want to be the researcher that was trying to determine new ways of doing things in the classroom. I was interested in being the one who helped disseminate that information to be the one who could, who could kind of distill it for people to make sense of and to help them make decisions on what they can be doing in their classroom. Because all of us have different styles that we would feel comfortable with teaching. Uh, All of us are interested in doing different things. So there's, there's no one model fits all. And, and I'm just so interested in what are all the different models? What works for me? What might work for you? And how can I get all of that information in one place for somebody and, you know, and, you know, 10 years ago for me, that was in a book. Now it turned out it's like that can be in a podcast because it's a place where, you know, I mean, it's like a book, it's like an audio book. So I'm, I'm writing, I do a lot of writing for, for each episode uh, in sort of the introduction and, and the research that I do. Uh, but then, then getting to talk to people, uh, I, th- I think that's been one of my real joys. It's like getting to talk to, to, to these uh, people doing this, this awesome work. Um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of how I got into it. It's like there was a sort of multiple directions happening at once, partly because of the pandemic as well, that, right. that got it, me going this direction. It catalyzed a lot of different things, I'm sure. Yeah. For a lot of different people. So um, you, I mean, you talk a lot about physics education, but not all of your podcasts are, you know, with physics educators or education researchers. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like the kinds of people that come onto your show? I have so many ideas for episodes and not nearly enough time. Uh, I have so many hopes for what, what the, the podcast might do. Uh, so I, I think a lot of what it has been centered on is talking with, with folks who are, who are doing particular things in the field of education. So one type is what are some of the big ideas happening? Uh, very recently, I had a chance to talk with physics Nobel laureate Carl Wyman, and and he's you know not only was that he win the Nobel Prize in physics for for his um, atomic molecular and optical physics research, but uh, he's also gone on to do amazing things in the world of education. So that that's kind of like a, a higher level piece. I want to talk to people about modeling instruction. I want to talk to people about uh, the investigative science learning environment. Uh, and I, I, that, that came out of Rutgers. Uh, I, I, I want to talk to people outside of physics and what they're doing. So this is why I want uh, one of this connection with the Pogo group, because uh, when I was at the University of New England, I had a, a colleague there who, who was using Pogo for teaching organic chemistry over the summers, and, and we would compare notes a lot. So that, that was how I was first introduced to, the, um, to, to what um, 
uh, this Poco project is doing. And I was always been interested in that and wanting to learn more. Uh, so there's kind of these, I would say there's kind of these higher level ones that I do. Then there's sort of more the, the middle of like, what are some specific topics? You know, I had a chance to talk with someone who created a, a physics-based board game that could replace a lab on vectors. Uh, I had a chance to talk to somebody who has a, a YouTube channel on coding, uh, how to bring um, co computational physics into the, the classroom, which was a place that I had a little bit less comfort myself and, and connecting with this individual has allowed me to, uh, to really gain an appreciation for computation and less fear uh, to be able to do it myself. So there's been able, you know, kind of talking at that mid-level of, you know, here are very specific things we might do in the classroom. Um, but another one of my big interests, and I, I really hope to keep tackling this more is, is the human side of education. One of the pieces I've, I've really been interested in is kind of mindfulness and, and meditation. And so some of my solo episodes, I've brought some pieces of that in. I actually had one episode where I, I led a guided meditation for teachers who are beginning a new semester. And, and I, I really want to take some time to kind of investigate, you know, our own well-being and what we can do to help ourselves from not burning out. Which is something that, that I yes. experienced previously and, and, and kind of led me to change jobs from one place to another. Right. Um, and actually, you know, I would also appreciate the episode on mindfulness at the middle and later parts of the semester. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> at all parts of the semester. All parts of the semester have their own, you know, separate challenges. So that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I did notice, you know, on some of your episodes you had, you were interviewing people. And other times you, you would go and do your own solo podcast. And um, I was surprised at how easy the solo podcast sounded. Can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, usually, I mean, the whole formula for a podcast is you have to have a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, and so talking with, you know, by yourself for, you know, 20, 20, 30 minutes <laughs> to a microphone. And then, you know, how does that, how does that work? For you, I mean, clearly you're writing out a script and things like that. How did, how did that go? I, I write out a, probably a bullet point list uh, with certain things I want to cover. A lot of the solo episodes I've done have emerged from something that has gone on around me. Some event that, that happened on my campus, some interaction that happened between students, something that I read about in the Chronicle of Higher Education, something that came about in my life that got me thinking, saying, hmm, I would really like to explore that idea and what I know about it. And maybe I can find a few other articles online, you know, not necessarily diving into the peer review literature, but just sort of more on kind of that, that, that human side of things. And I, I find that you know, I spend maybe a week kind of mulling these things over in my head. I jot a few notes down. And then when I sit down at the microphone, I just, I just try to pretend like I'm like writing a journal entry mm -hmm. and then just, just talk about it. Okay. And I find that I'm able to do that. I don't know. I think it's a, right. I think a lot of us in education uh, and maybe particularly science education, uh, I think there's a lot of introverts there, but I think we have the ability to I don't know, to speak to an empty space or to speak to a classroom. Um, and, and it's not that like, I feel like sometimes that the introvert challenge is to try to talk with five people at once, but when it's one-on-one -on -one and you, and me just talking to a microphone is sort of a one-on-one -on -one, uh, it, it comes fairly naturally. 
Are you going to start doing some some solo episodes too? Uh, that was not in our plan for the Polo <laughs> Kogel podcast. I would have to do a lot more preparation than I do already, um, you know, for, 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 for our episodes. Um, you know, and besides, I don't think, you know, a lot of people want to listen to me for a whole half hour at a, at a stretch. My students don't want to. That's why they really like Pogo because they don't have to listen to me for a whole, whole classroom. So, you know, I just want to sort of close this out. So you've been doing this podcast now, I guess it's a, a little bit more than a year now, right? Mm -hmm. Just over a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you tell me something, you know, that you, that you learned from doing this that you would otherwise have not, you know, have learned in your own exploration of physics and physics teaching? One of the things I've got out of, out of this for myself is networking. Uh, I've I've been terrible at that, and uh, you know I, I've gone to the American Association of Physics Teachers conferences, the AAPT. That's sort of the the big place where physics teachers will will go and and gather. And uh, you know I would go with a colleague or two, and I would spend my whole time with them, and I, I would never get out and talk to anybody. It was you know I, I wasn't doing the networking part well. Right. But well, I found that yeah. we introverts don't network very well. No. <laughs> right, so. But somehow at these conferences, I saw people getting together and talking and, and I, it, it just didn't come to me. But, but now that I'm, it's very easy for me to reach out and say, I really want to talk to you about what you're doing. And then we have this conversation and now I'm beginning to make all of these, these connections and, and learning so much on my own. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the, the great pieces, how much I am learning from, from others. And that's been, that's always been the selfish part of this, that I am partly creating this podcast because I wish there was a podcast that was doing what I'm doing, but, but there isn't. So, so I'm going to make it and I'm going to get out of it what I would have liked to have gotten out of it, which is hearing what, what folks are doing in the community, uh, learning for myself and learning what, what are the pieces that I would like to pick up for myself? Uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned that the coding aspect was, was one, one of them, right. uh, this, this board game, uh, what was another one. And uh, another piece actually to go back to your previous question, but it relates to this is, uh, the piece about diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and how important that is in our culture right now. And that I, I really want to be involved with that. And this podcast is a way to do that uh, because certainly uh, STEM fields have uh, been predominantly white and male for a long time, and it's still very slowly changing. And, and I want to be part of a, of a solution to uh, creating a more welcoming environment for everybody and to help bring in uh, groups of people that have, have not otherwise really found a place in, in the field. And there's a lot of great work going on out there. And I've been definitely trying to reach out to folks doing that work to, to, help, to help play a role uh, in what way I can in, in that aspect as well. Right. Well, at, at, the, at the very least, giving you know, more voice to those groups so that they can you know, get their message out. Um, I think that, that, you know, that that's something that we've been working on hard in the Pogo project as well. You know, it's, it's just trying to connect people so that they don't feel like they're left on the sidelines. So, mm -hmm. yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, Brad Moser, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today on the Pogo podcast. Um, it's been a real pleasure. It's been uh, interesting to hear about uh, what you're doing uh, and hear about uh you know, life in other podcast worlds. So, so absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. And I really look forward to the, uh, the other side of this is when I'm going to get to talk with uh, Rick Moog about uh, Pogo on, on my podcast. So uh, you'll be able to look out for that one in the future as well. Thank you very much, Brad. Absolutely. Thanks to all of you for listening to today's conversation on the Pogo podcast. For additional details on how you can engage with the Pogel Project or its working groups, contact Associate Director Marcy Dubroff at marcy.dubroff at pogel.org. That's M-A-R-C-Y dot D-U-B-R-O-F-F at pogel.org. The Pogel Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to make a donation so we can keep providing podcasts, low-cost workshops, and classroom materials, please visit www.pogel.org backslash donate. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Pogel practitioner, Wayne Pearson. Please join us next time when we interview the 2022 winners of Pogel's Early Achievement Award, also known as the Peach Award. Until then, enjoy your week.